the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Uh, Folks, welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. We always look forward to our visits with you. Alan Dempsey, once again, doing the engineering. Uh, Andrew Hertaliska produces this show. And in the first half hour, Peter Karasotis is with us from the Space Coast. Newspaper journalist, author, radio host, and my writing partner on my latest book, which is called Extreme Winning, uh, The 12 Keys to Find That Winner Within You, Folks. And HCI is the publisher. Good morning, Peter. Great to talk to you. Oh, always good to talk with you, Pat. Lovely to hear your voice. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this book. I I hired you some years ago and uh, asked you to help me write this book. Uh, what's the outcome? How are you feeling? Well, I've gotten some good responses. Uh, we have the final copy in our hands. I think listeners will be able to uh, start ordering, pre-ordering it right now, and it should be on shelves pretty soon. And uh, even just yesterday, I got an email from our editor on this project at HCI, and she uh, raved again about the book. Uh, didn't need to. I wasn't emailing her specifically for feedback, but I had a question, and uh, she made some really nice comments uh, about the book and the writing and the collaboration with you and I together. So uh, the feedback has been good. I'm uh, anxious for people to be able to get it in their hands and leave reviews on Amazon and uh, be able to share it with their with their friends because uh, I think we did a really nice book together, Pat. Tell our listeners, uh, Peter, what the book's about. Well, the book is called Extreme Winning, and when you came to me with this project, uh, you presented it to me as, uh, Peter, I've, I've written uh, many, many, many books. Uh, this is now your 100th book, and uh, I've got a lot of ideas through the years that I want to pour into one book that kind of pulls a lot of my philosophy, a lot of my research, a lot of my experiences all together into one book uh, that I'm uh, kind of calling my uh, uh, my magnus opus. You know, sort of your 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 great piece of work that that you've been working towards your entire life, and this is that book, and it's called Extreme Winning. And you came up with uh, 12 keys to unlocking the winner within you. And you spelled out uh, the chapters, and we can dive into them perhaps in a little more detail. But the chapters are having an extreme dream, preparation, focus, passion, work, responsibility, a positive attitude, goals, perseverance, competition, desire, and finally, teamwork. And uh, the book is... It's sports-centric because a lot of these qualities surface and reveal themselves more so in sports than 
uh, in tangible ways more so in sports, but they're really there in all aspects of life. If you're a businessman, if a, or a businesswoman, or or a school teacher, or whatever it is that you do, or even in your personal life, it doesn't have to be a vocation. Uh, these are the twelve steps that you have observed that people who become winners in their field or winners in life invariably go through these 12 steps. And here are those 12 steps in the form of 12 chapters that you can earmark, underline, highlight, all of the different things that uh, one of our reviewers, Jay Gruden of the Washington Redskins, uh, immediately told us, uh, I'm not one to read motivational books or self-help books. Uh, but I, uh, when I started reading this, I, I found that I was pulling out my highlighter and underlining uh, right away. So uh, that was a fine testimonial we got from the Washington Redskins coach. So these are the 12 steps that invariably everybody who becomes a winner goes through, and these 12 chapters will help you to implement them in your own life. Peter, where does Bruce Bochy fit into this story? Uh, Bruce has been a longtime friend of mine. In fact, I uh, was talking with him last night. He is from the Space Coast as well. Uh, went to Melbourne High School and what was then Bavard Community College, which is the junior college that I went to. And I asked Bruce uh, to write the forward for us. And uh, when we asked him to write the forward for us a little over a year ago, uh, he had won two world championships as the manager of the San Francisco Giants and then after he agreed to write the forward for us, he won his third world championship. So three world championships in five years as the manager of the San Francisco Giants. And uh, he embodies uh, these 12 steps. Uh, and, it, and, and the 12 steps is our process. It doesn't happen overnight. And one of the chapters on perseverance, uh, you look at somebody like Bruce Bochy, he just turned 60 this year, so five years ago when he won his first world championship, he was 55. He had been a player for the San Diego Padres and Houston Astros, had played in the World Series, had managed in the World Series uh, with the San Diego Padres back when the Yankees had that great team in 1998 that won 125 total games, and uh, they were swept all four games by the Yankees. I was covering that World Series and doing a daily diary with Bruce. Uh, so perseverance, 55 years old, a lifer in Major League Baseball, and finally wins his first World Series as a manager, and now he's got three World Series as a manager and uh, is, uh got his ticket punched to Cooperstown. He is a lock now to be a Hall of Famer. Mm, mm, mm. Let's start with dreams, Peter. That was the first chapter that I've noticed as I studied uh, great athletes, great people, it all starts with a dream, right? It all starts with a dream, and the dream uh, is something when you, what we uh, dived into a little bit with the first chapter was Walt Disney. Uh, sometimes you have a dream and uh, you just can't get it out of your head. It just infiltrates every every cell of your being. You think about it. You literally dream about it. It uh, it uh, takes over every waking moment. It, it just is something that you have to address. So you you have to be somebody who uh, thinks. Uh, I like to say in sports when I was uh, writing a daily column, 
that I thought outside the box score. <laughs> People say, well, you know, what's your philosophy with writing a column? I think outside the box score. So a dream is, you know, it can be way, way out there, but uh, that's what they said about Walt Disney. Your dream is way out there. What are you thinking about? Uh, a theme park? Uh, that's that's carnival barkers. That's, that's the dregs of society. How are you ever going to uh, accomplish anything like that? Well, his dream was to change the culture of what a theme park would be that it would be more family-centric. And so you start out with an extreme dream, and then you start pursuing that dream. The second topic, Peter, uh, preparation. Uh, wh- what did you learn about that? Well, th- there's the famous saying that John Wooden had, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And you have to, you have to, so many dreamers, Pat, uh, live in that fantasy world and and at some point you've got to take that dream and then uh and then visualize uh, how you're going to achieve that dream and start taking steps towards that goal which is another one of our chapters and so you have to have uh the quality of preparation uh, you have to be able to as John Wooden did uh with every one of his practices they had a dream a goal of winning a national championship, but the attention to detail and the preparation to get there, what were you going to do every day in practice? Uh, down to even the second, he had everything prepared for practices, so no time was wasted. So preparation is uh, is sort of the kickstart to get your dream going. If, if you're not putting steps in place and preparational steps in place, then you're just a dreamer. Uh, You're just a a guy or a gal who walks around with a fantastical notion in your head that you keep telling people about, but you never really do anything about. Peter Karasotis is my guest, longtime journalist in this neck of the woods, and my writing partner on a book called Extreme Winning. We've got more with Peter here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Just a reminder, this is the new... 94.9 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. We do this show every weekend with you folks and always delighted uh, when you plug in and, and join us. We've got more with Peter Karasotis right after these messages, so hang in there with us and uh, we will be right back to talk about extreme winning. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950. WTLN. Looking for more than just a job? Searching for a career path with a higher calling? With a company who wants you for your life skills as well as your job skills? Find a career you can believe in. Find your true calling at ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com is the largest Christian employment website with thousands of job listings in the Christian sector. Get connected with outstanding employers that share your values and understand there's more to you than what's in your resume. I've always wanted to focus my energies in the Christian community. Because, to me, having a career means more than just a paycheck. ChristianJobs.com allowed me to apply all my skills in a meaningful way. Find your true dream job today at ChristianJobs.com. I found not only my dream job, but my calling at ChristianJobs.com. Once you see the long list of quality job opportunities available, you'll never settle for just a job again. Visit ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com. You want to feel connected, informed, included, inspired. 
So when important things happen, we're here. Your local radio and TV broadcasters. America's number one source for news, weather, and information on your radio, TV, computer, tablet, and smartphone. We are broadcasters. Always here for you, wherever here may be. Tell Washington local stations matter by texting radio to 52886. Furnished by NAB in the station. Message and data rates may apply. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94.9 9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Peter Karasotis is my guest, my writing partner on my most recent book, which is called Extreme Winning. We're giving you a little peek inside the book. It's in bookstores now, uh, up on Amazon.com, of course, a good way to order books. So, Peter, we've covered uh, the importance of a dream. We've talked about preparation. Uh, Now I want you to talk about focus and why that's important in being an extreme winner. I think all of us have met people in life who are just dreamers, and their dreamers become almost like a shotgun blast. Uh, They have a little bit of ADD. They start talking about their idea. They're over here. They're over there. Uh, they they can't ever seem to zero in on the one thing that they really have in mind and then getting that laser-sharp focus to it. So extreme winners have extreme focus. They have that ability to home what they want to do into a laser-like focus and then stay on target. Uh, they have the ability to block out distractions and zero in on what's going on right now and to kind of live in that moment. And, um, and, and sometimes it's not just themselves that waylay uh, their ability to become an extreme winner. Uh, sometimes it can be other people. Oftentimes it's other people. Oftentimes it's other people with good intentions, family, friends. What are you doing? You're emptying, you're taking, you're emptying out the bank account for this uh, intrapreneurial uh, dream that you have, or you're taking out a second mortgage. Are you sure this is what you want to do? Uh, so they're going to try to waylay, uh, with good intentions, uh, what your extreme dream is and the preparation you've put into it. So the ability to, to, to just have uh, a no distraction, no discouragement focus on what your ultimate goal is of becoming a winner uh, as an entrepreneur or an inventor, or uh, maybe a career change, or whatever it might be, having that extreme focus and uh, and staying the course because you have tunnel vision, you have blinders on, uh, you're able to see what you see in your head constantly, and you're not going to let anybody, even yourself, uh, distract you from what you're going to do. How about, Peter, uh, extreme passion? Well, that's, that's an interesting chapter because um, there's a lot of people who get into something 
for perhaps the wrong reasons. Uh, maybe their reason is just that they want to make money. And if you're not passionate about what you're doing, uh, it usually does not last. Uh, so passionate people, uh, what they're involved in is what they want to talk about. They just, you know, the old, the old expression, I, you know, sometimes you hear people say, uh, you know, they're paying me X, Y, Z to do this. I, don't tell them I would do it for free. I just love doing it. I, I love playing baseball or I, I, I love, I love uh, being in a band, or I, I love uh, the fact that I've uh, opened up and, and started my own coffee shop, and uh, people come in. It's just a wonderful environment. I, I look forward to getting up and going to work every day. So they're extremely passionate about what they do. They ha they're excited about it. They have enormous energy about it and concerning it. Uh, their enthusiasm is palpable. Uh, they have that zeal and the zest uh, for 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 what they're getting out of bed, and, and, and uh, they go to bed at night uh, just hating the fact that they have to sleep for eight hours because they just want to get back to their passion. So uh, you have to find out uh, what that passion is and, uh, and, and keep stoking that passion because without passion, the fire goes out, the dream dies, and uh, you got to Chapter 4, and that was it. And now, Peter, we move to the next uh, uh, item here of extreme winning, and we do a chapter called work, hard work, consistent work. Yes, you, you hit on a couple of the adjectives there. Uh, they understand, extreme winners understand that you, you can't drift on your oars. Uh, you, you, you may have a measure of success, uh, maybe a good measure of success, but you don't stop the work ethic. And it always takes an enormous around amount of work. Uh, researchers are finding, and we've got you know some of this in the book. Uh, you know some of the greatest athletes that you thought, oh, you know, they're just naturally talented. Michael Jordan. Uh, you know, if I had Michael Jordan's talent, I would have won six NBA titles. Uh, Michael Jordan had a lot of talent, no question about it. But you look at the amount of hours that he put in to his craft. He was the first one at practice, the last one to leave. Uh, he hired a personal trainer when he realized that he wasn't getting over the hump. He was getting to the postseason but not getting to the NBA Finals and certainly not winning the NBA Finals. Uh, and he hired a personal trainer. And the personal trainer uh, didn't talk about uh, how, how much weight Michael could lift or what he could do on the cardio machine. He talked about his work ethic and how Michael did not miss a day. If it was an all-night flight, he still wanted to work out in the morning. Uh, if they got in late from a game and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, he was working out at 6 o'clock in the morning. He just never stopped working and outworking his competition, which is the competition is another chapter we have. So you have to recognize that you may be very passionate about what you have, going you you have this great dream you're focused on it you've got to work it you've got to work it you've got to work it there's no substitute for hard work where does responsibility fit into the picture peter well uh, you know uh, pat you, you know you're a generation ahead of me uh, you know i'm closing in on 58 years old and uh, you look at uh, generations they always talk about the younger generation this the younger generation that and I think a lot of times when we um, we talk about in our day, 
uh, we're, uh, we're doing a different kind of dreaming. But I do think that there is a generation coming up uh, that is not as accountable, not as responsible as you and I had to be when we were growing up. Uh, a lot of excuse-making is made for kids by parents. You know, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, you got in trouble in school, you got in trouble at home. Uh, your aunts and uncles and your neighborhood parents were uh, authoritative figures. They told you something. Uh, your parents invariably backed that up. Uh, nowadays, uh, the kids are taught, sadly, and, and not across the board, obviously, but I think in a general sense, uh, not to be responsible. There's a lot of finger-pointing. So to be an extreme winner, you have to be extremely responsible. No finger-pointing is allowed. You own what you do, good or bad. If you make a mistake, you don't pass the buck. Uh, so because of that mindset, um, uh, you know, you you don't – when you take responsibility, uh, you, your work ethic comes into play. Okay, uh, this decision was wrong. Uh, okay, I own it. It's on me. Uh, okay, let's, let's quit talking about it and let's see what we can do to fix it. And when you're not responsible and you're a person that passes the buck or points the finger, uh, then invariably uh, things fizzle out and... Uh, you know, our last chapter is, is teamwork. You know, people don't want to be a part of your team. And then that dream, that goal, that, uh, that process that you're taking to become an extreme winner uh, can fall flat. So being extremely responsible is extremely re important. The great ones who've achieved things invariably were always responsible people. Peter, I want you to talk about the importance uh, that we write about uh, in regard to a positive attitude every day. You made a statement to me when we were collaborating on this that you never met a pessimistic winner. And it's a very simple statement. It's, it, it's you know, simple in that it's profound as well, because it, it, when you made the statement, I started thinking about people who I knew were extreme winners. And I, you know, yeah, I mean, very simply stated, but obviously very true. And I know a lot of people who are very talented, hard workers, uh, uh, you know, have a lot of these qualities, but they're just the black cloud is always over them. Mm. And for some reason, they're always failing, uh, you know. And, and, and invariably, when they're pessimistic, they're not really responsible. Uh, things go wrong. So-and-so uh, was out to get me. My boss sabotaged me. Uh, it's always someone else's fault. So having that positive attitude, um, you, again, you've never met a pessimistic winner, and now that I think about it, neither have I. We all know, uh, going back to Norman Vincent Peale and probably prior to him, uh, the power of being positive. Uh, po you, you know, you, you can, you know, sometimes p positive people are positive by design, but you can incorporate a positive mindset and invariably, if you do that and, and, and force yourself to be positive through negative situations, it can become a natural mindset to you. So you have to have that extreme positive, positive attitude. You have to take that seriously. If it doesn't come naturally, you've got to force it until it does become natural. What about goal setting, Peter? Oh, this is, uh, this is something that uh, if you talk to anybody in the field of uh, self-help, motivation, 
invariably what they'll say is uh, you have to have goals and you also have to write them down and you have to have incremental goals. Even if you're on top of the world, you have to set and continue to set goals. And, and uh, we understand now through research, through uh, anecdotal evidence, that your goals have to be clear-cut. They have to be specific, definite goals with a deadline attached to them. The worst thing you can do to me, and I, and I shouldn't be telling you this, Pat, but the worst thing you can do to me is give me a writing assignment, but don't give me a deadline. Mm. Uh, I, 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 you know, in the newspaper business, I, I became deadline oriented, and uh, and deadlines are good. We need we need a deadline because once we have a deadline, then I can then I then I'm focused, and then I, I know that I need to meet that deadline. Extreme work has to come into play. I, I've got to be responsible. You know, if I blew a deadline as a columnist at night and I blamed it on X, Y, Z. They don't want to hear it at the office. My editors don't want to hear it. The back shop that's been waiting for me to get my copy in so they can start printing the newspaper, they don't want to hear it. So a responsibility comes in. So uh, you know, a lot of these chapters bleed into each other naturally, and you've got to have goals with a deadline, and then, and then it, everything seems to fall into place when you do that. Uh, we've got to talk about perseverance, don't we, Peter? We have to talk about perseverance. The going is going to get tough, uh, and extreme winners just refuse to quit. Uh, they, um, if you look at great people in history, and I know you talked about it, Pat, it amazed you how they never, they never even had the thought of quitting. So many history-altering events occurred because maybe someone quit or someone never even entertained the thought of quitting. And, uh, and so you've got to have that extreme uh, perseverance because it's not always going to be a paved road. It's going to be a rocky road. There's going to be potholes. Uh, there's going to be detours. Uh, you just have to have that, that laser focus that extreme desire, passion to come into play and be able to just just not even entertain the thought of quitting and, and having that perseverance. And so many people, because of that perseverance, uh, became the extreme winners that they were capable of becoming. Peter, we've got 60 seconds, and I want you to talk about competition. Well, uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, that don't like competition, and competition is good. Competition is really what this country was built on. And when you think about um, uh, when, you know, we have antitrust laws. Why? Because competition is good. And so you need to love competition, embrace competition, want competition, thrive on competition. And if the competition is strong enough, not strong enough, extreme winners like Michael Jordan would manufacture competition. They would create uh, some kind of bogus reason to be competitive. Every athlete that was great that I ever was around was extremely competitive, and they would compete even off the court, off the field, on the plane ride, in the locker room. Whatever it was, they were always creating games to compete, and Michael Jordan was a master at that. My guest has been Peter Karasotis, my writing partner 
on my latest book, Extreme Winning. It's in bookstores now. We've got more right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delta Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Just make it all stop for a few minutes. Help me, God. Three deadlines, four meetings. Uh, Looks like another late night at the office. Help me, God. I keep coming to these to forget my loneliness. So why do I still feel so alone? Help me, God. Help me, God. We all have moments where we feel we've reached the end of our rope. Discover freedom from anxiety, stress, and fear when you spend time in God's Word. Crosswalk.com is here to help you start living a life filled with joy and peace. Choose to read the Bible and talk to God each day. Receive free daily devotionals from well-known pastors and authors, including Max Lucado, John Piper, Charles Stanley, James McDonald, and more. Find the inspiration and encouragement you need for each day sent right to your inbox. Sign up at Crosswalk.com. That's Crosswalk.com. Have you looked under the hood of your health insurance policy lately? What happens if you get a serious illness or you get in an accident, you end up in the hospital and you can't work? How are you going to pay your bills? According to the American Cancer Society, one in three women and one in two men will get cancer in their lifetime. And according to a Harvard study, the costs associated with serious illness like cancer are the leading cause of bankruptcy. Find out right now how a supplemental plan can give you a cash benefit. You can use the money for anything you need, pay your bills, pay for travel to and from a hospital, meals, and a lot more. For a few dollars a day, you can give your family an added layer of financial protection. Call the supplemental insurance line right now for a free quote. 800-516-9794. That's 800-516-9794. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Peter Karasotis, our guest in the first half hour, uh, talking about the book Extreme Winning. Rodney Reeves joins us. He is the Dean of College of Theology and Ministry and Professor of Biblical Studies at Southwest Baptist University in Missouri. Uh, He and two of his writing partners, David Capes and Randolph Richards, have written a book called Rediscovering Jesus, uh, an introduction to biblical, religious, and cultural perspectives on Christ. Uh, IVP Academic is the publisher. Uh, Rodney, thanks for joining me. Good to chat with you. Thanks, Pat. Good to be on. Tell me the mission here that you three guys had. Well, basically, it's a twofold mission. One, we have students come into our classrooms, and um, they come with a rather naive idea that the Jesus they have in their head is the real Jesus. And uh, they also come 
not nearly as informed with the biblical narratives as we, as we would hope. So we spent a lot of time introducing them to the New Testament literature, uh, not just the Gospels, but of course the writings of Paul and the general letters and even the Revelation of John. And when they begin to read the New Testament, actually read through it, they begin to discover things about Jesus they didn't know, that the church really never even taught them. And uh, so what happens at that moment is kind of a bit of a, not a crisis, but a bit of a cognitive dissonance because they're saying, you know, the Jesus I have in my head isn't quite like the Jesus I'm reading about here, here, or here. And so part of our purpose is to say, hey, let's all admit that we have this composite Jesus, one that's constructed in our heads, probably based on, you know, our favorite passages of the New Testament, perhaps even informed by cultural scripts or images, even films, and that that constructed Jesus is not the real one. And really, it was an exercise in hoping our readers will want to rediscover Jesus. It's not that we, Pat, think we rediscovered Jesus for the reader, not at all. Our goal is to basically draw the reader's attention back to the New Testament and look very carefully at the different pictures or different perspectives of Jesus. Let's start, Rodney. Uh, Tell us, first of all, about Mark's Jesus. Let's start there. Yeah, we start there because you might think we should start with Matthew, but most scholars think Mark's the earliest gospel. Mm. And it kind of fits because, you know, Mark doesn't have an infancy narrative. We know nothing about Jesus, uh, the circumstance of his birth or his genealogy. Really, in Mark's gospel, Jesus comes, and this might be hard for some people to hear this, but he's just a man. Uh, Even the prophecy that Mark begins with is really prophesying John the baptizer. You know, he, he, the, Mark does a mashup of, <clears throat> of two, uh, two prophets, one Isaiah and one Malachi, that predicts John the baptizer is going to come. So John comes on cue, and he, be, he does his thing and says, there's a guy coming after me that's really going to make it happen. And sure enough, here comes Jesus from Galilee. And, you know, you know nothing. Of, if all you had were Mark's gospel, you would know nothing about this man, except he's a Galilean that comes, and all of a sudden, after submitting to John's baptism, <clears throat> the Spirit of God falls upon him and gives him an incredible power to overcome evil and suffering. So that in Mark's Gospel, you get this man, this Jewish man, this Galilean, who's empowered by God to bring the reign of God to earth. And what that looks like, first and foremost, is to kick evil out. You know, he just he, like light penetrating the darkness. His first miracle is casting out a demon at the synagogue, of Capernaum. And so from that point forward, Jesus really primarily in Mark's gospel is a man who single-handedly brings the reign of God against evil and suffering. Um, He doesn't do a lot of teaching. It's really a gospel of action. He cares deeply about the people who are suffering from sickness. And he comes believing ultimately that the final blow against evil and suffering, the way he's finally going to defeat the powers that oppose humanity and oppose God, is by offering himself as a sacrifice. So the cross of Jesus in Mark's gospel is the ultimate weapon he uses against evil and suffering. Now teach us about Matthew's Jesus. Well, and now, so we start with Matthew, and we have, uh, you know, one who comes with a, a pedigree, a genealogy. You know, we wouldn't think that's the best way to start a story. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's see, how are we going to start this fantastic story? I know, we'll tell the genealogy which for probably uh, Westerners and Americans is is not all that interesting, although some are beginning to rediscover their roots. Well, for Matthew, Jesus has to be 
the Messiah of God, that basically fulfills the hopes that Israel had in the son of David. So he must have a royal pedigree. And Matthew starts his story by saying he does have those royal credentials. But more than that, he comes as one who fulfills all the hopes of Israel. I mean, when you read the Old Testament, God makes a bunch of promises from Abraham all the way through the story of Israel. And so God makes all these promises, and the way Matthew tells the story, Jesus makes all these promises come true. So he's every hero. He's not only a son of David, even better than David. He's not only a a prophet better than Moses. He says in Matthew's Gospel, something better than or greater than the temple is here, something greater than Solomon is here. So Matthew's telling the story of Jesus fulfilling all the hopes of Israel and therefore fulfilling all the hopes of the world because God promised Abraham that he would not only bless him but also bless all the nations through him. So that's why Jesus comes, you know, uh, doing all the things that the Messiah was supposed to do, but he does it in Matthew's Gospel in a way that takes the religious leaders by surprise. The way he sees the kingdom of heaven coming to earth is very different from the politicized expectations that they had, that they would, you know, how Jesus is going to overcome the enemies of God. The first enemy would be Rome, and Jesus doesn't come killing his enemies or launching some sort of political campaign, a zealot campaign, to root them out. Instead, he keeps teaching, and he keeps living a life that says the way we overcome our enemies is by loving them, by dying for them. So that's Matthew's story. My guest is Rodney Reeves. He is the uh, co-author of Rediscovering Jesus, an introduction to biblical, religious, and cultural perspectives on Christ. Rodney, we've now arrived at Luke's Jesus. Fill us in, please. Luke's Jesus is uh, one who probably relates more to Gentiles. You know, with Matthew's presenting a Jewish Jesus who very much fulfills all the hopes of Israel, fulfills the law, does everything the son of David's supposed to do, but yet in a very unexpected way. Luke's Jesus is one that relates to Gentiles. Even from the very beginning, when he starts telling the story of his birth, um, there's a sense in which Jesus is born for the whole world. You know, he's born to poor peasants. He's The uh, situation of his birth, of course, he's born in a manger, and uh, you've got shepherds attending to him. And so there's this sense that Jesus is the Lord of heaven, come to earth. He is the king who's come. But he comes as a king for the poor. He comes as a king of the poor. And so he speaks a lot in Luke's Gospel about basically turning the world right side up. You know, the world operates according to a script of power and how, how can you get, you know, uh, far in the world? How can you make it in the world? And, and there were a lot of powerful people in first century Palestine at this time trying to run the place. And so Jesus comes as a man of the poor for the poor in Luke's Gospel. And so he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth, first thing he does, and he basically says, look, good news for the poor. I'm a poor man. I was born to poor peasants, but God has made me kingdom rich with his spirit. And from that point forward, you see in Luke's gospel, Jesus bringing the kingdom for the poor, good news for the blind. They get to see the broken are going to be restored. It's the favorable year of the Lord. It's the year of Jubilees, and Jesus comes to cancel all debts, which poor people really like to hear about. And that was the anticipation of what the kingdom would come, what it would look like, is that the poor would finally get some good news for a change. So Jesus is uh, Lord of all people, and especially of the, the least, the last, and the lost in Luke's gospel. And then we come to John's Jesus, Rodney. And now for something completely different. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen this, Pat. You know, you read the chronology of Jesus, the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they follow a similar script, a similar chronology. You come into John's Gospel, and there's a completely different focus. There's an even a different, genea- a different chronology. Um, in John's Gospel, Jesus teaches no, you know, he doesn't offer any parables. The closest you have to a parable in John's Gospel is maybe the extended metaphor, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Uh, and think about it, if all we had were John's Gospel, we'd never know that Jesus primarily relied upon parables to teach about the kingdom. Instead of talking about the kingdom, he talks a lot about himself. And he uses metaphors, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the resurrection, I am the gate. So the focus of John's Gospel is basically not so much the kingdom, but the king. It's focusing on who Jesus is. Even the miracles he performs are not necessarily miracles just for the benefit of those who need them. John calls them signs. They point to who Jesus is. And so Jesus basically comes announcing that believing in him is the way you're going to find eternal life. And so it doesn't surprise us that probably most evangelicals really like John's gospel, because that's the message we hear most often in evangelical churches, believing in Jesus and you have eternal life. That's why, you know, John 3.16, everyone knows that verse. But Luke 9.23, most people don't know. And maybe if you look up Luke 9.23 and compare it with John 3.16, you can see the different emphasis of John's gospel compared to the synoptic gospels, as they're called. I'm curious, John, I mean, Rodney, what does it say? Yeah, Luke 9.23. Yeah. Is, he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Mm. Can you hear the difference? In the synoptics, they, it's called synoptic because it means to see together the life of Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are emphasizing this, follow me, pick up your cross, be my disciple, uh, give your life as I'm going to give mine. But in John's Gospel, the focus is, Believe in Jesus, John 3.16, and you'll have eternal life. Now, both messages are true. It's just that John has his emphasis, and Luke has his. Now we get to Paul's Jesus, Rodney. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think John, Paul's Jesus was one of the most difficult chapters for us to write, because there's so much that can be said here, Pat. I mean, there's so much, because Paul is a major contributor uh, to the New Testament. And yet, here's the surprise that people, you know, you kind of find out, you say, wait a minute, how could Paul preach the gospel of Jesus when he didn't know the man? Paul was not one of the disciples of Jesus. He probably never met the historical Jesus, the one who walked the earth. So here's a guy who claims to have an experience of Christ, that Jesus appeared to him and gave him a prophetic calling to take the gospel to Gentiles, and he writes a great majority of the New Testament. He's the major contributor to the New Testament. And, and so the question is, well, how, what is he emphasizing? If all you had were Paul's letters, you wouldn't know much about the details of Jesus' life. Now, Paul refers to them, but not very often. Instead, for Paul, the significance of Jesus is twofold. First, Paul makes theological sense of what Jesus did, in particular his death on the cross, the significance of his burial and his resurrection. So Paul spends a lot of time reading the Hebrew Scriptures and saying this is what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection means for us. But secondly, scholars point out that Paul's not only describing the theological significance of Jesus, he's describing the what we might say is the experiential or the mystical significance or the spiritual significance of Jesus. That is this. Paul believed that we experience the personal presence of Christ 
individually and corporately. And so that somehow we are crucified with Christ. Somehow we are buried with him. Somehow we're even already raised with him. And so Paul has this idea that we participate in the story of Jesus. We experience the narrative of Jesus, the gospel. And for Paul, that was an apocalyptic end-of-the-world experience, so that our lives are supposed to reveal Christ, not only individually, but especially corporately. So Paul, he covers a lot of ground in his letters, and but we, we think those are the two major ways that Paul sees Jesus and presents Jesus to his converts and to us as readers of his letters. Rodney, we've got about 45 seconds before the break. Uh, tell us about the priestly Jesus. Wow, yeah, that's another very fascinating Jesus that most people don't spend a lot of time talking about. The, we, uh, the Hebrews is really not a letter. It's a sermon, or perhaps a collection of sermons. So we call the anonymous author of this collection of sermons the preacher. Here's the preacher's message. If Jesus is going to offer a sacrifice that is effective for our sin, and yet he's not of the tribe of Levi, they are the priests, how in the world can he do it? My guest, Rodney Reeves, we got one more segment with Rodney. Stay with us. Uh, this is the Pat Williams <clears throat> Saturday Power Hour. It is the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN <clears throat> in Orlando. More after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Looking for more than just a job? Look in the right place. For a career that inspires you, visit ChristianJobs.com. That's ChristianJobs.com. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. If you miss the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at GraceImpact.org. 5.30 Sunday on the new 94.9 FM. FM and AM 950 WTLN. Have you looked under the hood of your health insurance policy lately? What happens if you get a serious illness or you get in an accident, you end up in the hospital and you can't work? How are you going to pay your bills? According to the American Cancer Society, one in three women and one in two men will get cancer in their lifetime. And according to a Harvard study, the costs associated with serious illness like cancer are the leading cause of bankruptcy. Find out right now how a supplemental plan can give you a cash benefit. You can use the money for anything you need, pay your bills, pay for travel to and from a hospital, meals, and a lot more. For a few dollars a day, you can give your family an added layer of financial protection. Call the supplemental insurance line right now for a free quote. 800 516 9794. 800 516 9794. That's 800 516 9794.
Hi, I'm Barbara Sandek, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Rodney Reeves is with us from uh, his uh, educational spot at Southwest Baptist University in Missouri. Uh, we're talking about the book that he uh, helped write, Discover, Rediscovering Jesus. Rodney, uh, let's talk about Jesus outside the Bible. And uh, why don't we start with the Gnostic Jesus? What does that mean? Well, the Gnostics were an early group of uh, people who claimed to be Christians. You might call them the first group that basically said, we've got the real Jesus and the Orthodox Jesus is not right. Uh, you don't have the real one. We do. And they relied upon their own Gospels. They wrote their own Gospels. They wrote their own letters. They had their own teachings. And basically, they worked with the presumption that they're a very diverse group of people. And so it's really hard to describe Gnosticism. And by the way, that comes from a Greek word, which means knowledge. So I like to call them the know-it-alls. Um, they, these people, the know-it-alls, or the wise guys, they really believed that everything in the world is evil. And therefore... There's no way that God would lower himself and send his son in human flesh uh, and that he would be fully divine. So basically their, their, their worldview prevented them from affirming, we would say, the full deity of Jesus. So this is what they did. They got around the problem in one of two ways. They said either the Christ was a spirit, was a spirit, that basically possessed the human Jew Jesus and did all these amazing works, and then left him before he died. And salvation has come through the knowledge of knowing these secrets that this Christ spirit delivered to the world through Jesus. Or uh, Jesus Christ was really not a man. He was like, he was an angel. When you read Old Testament stories, you know, when Jacob wrestles with that creature, he appears to be a man, but we know he's more than that. So they said Jesus Christ really wasn't fully a human. He really didn't die. He appeared as a man, but he really was an angel. So the, the Gnostics were people who basically said, because the material world is evil, there's no way the gospel story in what we would call the Orthodox Church is right. And so they invented this other Jesus that basically emphasizes that salvation comes through knowing the secrets of, uh, that they have discovered in their own gospels and their own writings. Now I want you to talk about the Muslim Jesus. And this, Pat, honestly, this is when I wish my co-writers were with us, because really David and Randy are the experts on the Muslim Jesus. Yes. And, of course, I, I, um, I, I read it, and I learned a lot from them. But if, if your readers will and listeners will, will pardon me, I'll try to sum up quickly what I understand they wrote. Please. Yeah, that'll be, <laughs> that. that'll be great. Okay. Um, basically, uh, Muhammad did, you know, in the Quran that he, re he, he claims, of course, he was inspired by Allah to write. Um, he references Jesus, and he believed that Jesus was a great prophet. But one of the, there are two things that the Muslims can't accept. They cannot accept that Jesus was the actual son of God. They see him as a divine prophet. They even believe he was born of a virgin, but they do not accept that he is the son of God. 
And therefore, secondly, they cannot accept that Jesus actually died on a cross for our sins. That either was a case of mistaken identity, someone else was crucified, Mm. or that uh, somehow, um, you know, he really didn't die. It appeared that he died, but he didn't. Because for them, for a, a prophet to die like that in such a shameful way would be would so besmirch the honor of God, he, it couldn't have happened. So they dismiss any significance placed on the atoning work of Jesus' death. And so that's one of the major differences. Now, there are many things that they share. They believe that Jesus was born a virgin. They believe that Mary is an important part of the Christian story. You know, that the Hebrew Scriptures pointed to Jesus as a prophet, uh, that he did many mir- miracles and taught many things. But they, the, the sticking point for them is they cannot accept the deity of Jesus, and, theref- and therefore they will not accept that Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world. How about the Mormon Jesus, Rodney? That's, uh, that's a really good question, Pat. Um, here's, here's The Mormon Jesus is uh, the Jesus who appears in the Book of Mormon. And he basically is—he uh, he appeared— According to their scripture, Joseph Smith received these tablets, you know, and, and then he was inspired to translate them, according to their faith. And Jesus basically uh, appeared after his ascension to North American indigenous peoples who were derived from, they were descendants of, the two lost tribes of Israel that basically left um, Babylonia. They left Israel just before Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, and they got on a ship and came across to America, and these two Jewish tribes um, basically lived for several hundred years, and then Jesus came to them in his resurrected form and preached the gospel and delivered the Sermon on the Mount and performed the Lord's Supper and did many of the things that the gospel writers talk about. He did for them, and then uh, eventually these two tribes fought with one another. One exterminated the other. The, the gospel was lost. It was eventually recorded on tablets. And then Joseph Smith discovered these tablets and basically tell the story. Here's, here's what surprised me. There's nothing in the Book of Mormon that is unorthodox. Because Jesus says and does everything he said and did according to the God. You know, he basically repeats himself what he said to the 12 disciples, he says in the Book of Mormon. The unorthodox part, and that's something even Mormons are proud of, by the way, the unorthodox Jesus the, of, of the Mormon Jesus shows up really in the later writings of Joseph Smith, in the Doctrine of the Covenants, and in the Pearl of Great Price, and some who consider the King Follett Discourse or Sermon, they consider that scripture too. Some Mormons don't. That's where Joseph Smith begins to introduce some unorthodox ideas, in particular, that there really isn't one God. They deny the Trinity. They say there are three separate gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Joseph Smith claims that God the Father came to him as a human being, separate from God the Son, Jesus, and that uh, these two gods spoke to him and told him there is no true denomination at his time. He needs to basically go find these tablets and start a start a, the true denomination that came to be known as, as Mormon Church or the Latter-day Saints. And so they believe that, that, that God the Father was once a human, and so was God the Son, and that they, they became gods. And the purpose of the gospel is really kind of the opposite of the Orthodox doctrine. The Orthodox doctrine, we celebrate God becoming man. The Mormon doctrine is they celebrate man becoming gods. Now let's talk about uh, the cinematic Jesus. 
Jesus of the movies, huh? Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> well, I don't know how many uh, of your listeners, you know, watch Jesus films. Some of them lately have become blockbusters, haven't they? Yes. Here's here's what we we talk about is is the cinematic Jesus serves two purposes. First, it's very reflective. The Jesus films made over the last hundred years, and they're not just made in America. Others, you know, um, people of other, um, you know, citizenships and, and countries have made Jesus films as well. But Jesus films tend to reflect the cultural expectations of the time. For example, think of Jesus Christ Superstar that features kind of a hippie flower child Jesus that basically is struggling over his celebrity status. Can you imagine that film, that story, that play, that musical being made in the 40s? No way. But thinking about that the, that the Jesus Christ Superstar play that became a film, you know, late 60s, early 70s, makes perfect sense because it's reflective of that time. And that's what's most interesting like, I, I teach a course every once in a while, Jesus, uh, the Bible in American culture, and we look at Jesus films, and I'll show my class, my students, uh, the King of Kings film made, you know, back in the 40s, 30s, and the 50s, and remain the 50s, you know, or, or, the, or the great story ever told. And that Jesus is so lofty, so smarmy, he's very stoic, and my students laugh at him. They think he's ridiculous. There's no way the real Jesus would look like that. And that just goes to show you that Jesus films are basically an attempt to try to market Jesus to us but ye- and so that we'll go and watch these films. But at the same time, it reflects our cultural preferences. So he, he keeps changing according to the different decade of when the film was made. My guest has been Rodney Reeves, the book Rediscovering Jesus. Uh, we've got a wrap-up, folks, uh, right after these messages here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new 94.9 FM. And AM 950, WTLN in Orlando. Rodney, a terrific half hour. Boy, it flew by, Pat. Oh, my, that was wonderful. Yeah, we uh, we went to school today. Well, uh, I hope it helps. Oh, that was beautiful. Loved it. Loved it. I loved it. It was like sitting in your classroom. Oh, thanks. So a million thanks, Rodney. All the best to you with the book. Thanks, and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Good. All the Take care, Rod. Thanks, Pat. All right. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 